we just seem to get in games, and when you get on a roll and you get some momentum and you get winning, it seems like it just keeps going that direction. And I, I think our guys need a few of these to have the confidence that, that these kind of things can happen. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. After also being offered an eight-year, $32 million contract, I too have decided to turn down the Rutgers head coaching position. Uh, that's going to be a mistake, Honky. You're going to regret that, man. I'm also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Join me in the celebration of finally getting to plus four wins and a Redcast season. Very exciting. We're trending upwards. Woo-hoo! <laughs> that's right. That's right. Also with Boomer. This just goes to show when you play these long-seated rivalries like we have with Maryland, just anything can happen. You throw the record books out, and games can just be magical like this. It was like the glory days of past Big 8 rivals, like us playing Kansas back in the 80s. Boy, did it not feel good, right, guys? A 54-7 to drubbing of the uh, Terrapins of Maryland. Mac, you say that we need to not be small, and this was a day that we did not need to be small at all, right, man? It felt good to go out there kick some butt and to see a bunch of uh, backups play in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it was a it was a harken back to old times, honestly. Like the game was completely in hand the entire time. I've never seen the football gods, you know, autocorrect <laughs> an entire like 20 years of a season in in one game. I felt bad for Maryland almost and I'm like this is ridiculous. Like the pass to JD that was tipped and hit one of their guys' helmets and then landed in his hands. I'm like that never happens to the other team, but it was fun to watch. It was just kind of like we had some company over, and, and one of them was like, oh, I really wish Maryland could score. It seems embarrassing to go undefeated. But I was like, no, this is great. This is how it should be. I hope they never score again. You know? But, <laughs> yeah, it felt great. It's good to be good to be back in that seat. Yeah, the, the Terps did not put up a lot of resistance. And to Max's point, everything's kind of kind of broke our way. I mean, not everything. There's still a few, few things that didn't go our way. But, boy, everything sure felt good from the get-go. Yeah, I mean, that's a really bad team. And to our credit, we did what you were supposed to do to really bad teams. There was a small moment in that game when we were up 24-0 and we threw the interception. Their backup quarterback, their second of four quarterbacks that they played, he scared me. Mm. That dude had some wheels on him, and he was the one that ran down the field on us in a couple of runs, and then he gets hurt and fumbled it. But there was one small Off a physical point. tackle from Lamar Jackson. Correct. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Yeah, it wasn't a fake injury or anything, right? I mean, this guy got hit good. But what I was thinking was that at that point, that was the one part in the game where I was like, oh gosh, this game could flip on us. You know, we blew a chance at a score, and then this guy, he's going to cause us troubles if he's playing all game. Well, he ends up getting injured, and, and we get the ball back, and we score, and, and that's pretty much the game. So. Mm-hmm. I know that this was not a good team we played, but we've also played a lot of other not great teams over the course of the past four or five years, and we've lost to some of them. Yeah, yeah Boomer, you're our uh, local uh, historian for us on the show. Uh, when was the last time we had a more worry-free game than this one? It's been a while, huh? Yeah, this has been quite a while. Uh, this is kind of like those games you expected at the beginning of the season when you're playing some overmatched, you know, FCS foe or MAC team. It felt like Bethune Cookman to some. Yeah, it really did. It, it, it'd be comparable to that. You know, going in, especially after they fumbled that very first play, that 
I don't think Maryland had a whole lot of excitement to be here to start with, and then you can just kind of see it in their coach's face that this whole season has just become the biggest dumpster fire in the history of Terrapins <laughs> football, and there was no coming back from that at that point. You know what, Boomer? This is like what the SEC gets every single November, right? Well, absolutely. Yeah. Although I don't know if I'd want to see like Western Carolina against Maryland. That could be a oh, pretty vicious. <laughs> but, uh, they take this as a game and they win it, and they don't get any crap for it. And fine, we shouldn't either. Yeah, at least ours was a Power Five team. Yep. Yeah. Now, bottom line is we're now five and six, and we'll uh, break down Iowa in depth in uh, our scarlet colored glasses. But we're playing for a bowl game this Friday. We are doing the the show here a couple days earlier, just to kind of get the show out early. We didn't do a rapid reaction, so let's uh, head into our offensive breakdown. If you are looking to tailgate this weekend, you want to get some catering done, Plowboys will do that. Give them a call, 402-476-6511, or you can get them at their uh, website, pblincoln.com. Tell them the Redcast sent you. The food is outstanding. They'll cater. Great place to go to, so think about that for your tailgates. And now, Scoring Explosion. The offensive breakdown. Yeah, we finished some drives. Uh, obviously, that was a thorn in our side against Wisconsin. We got down there enough and didn't get them finished. So I, I was happy to see that. And a lot of guys got involved. Just happy to see that, too. All right, guys. We're talking offense in our scoring explosion. And Honky, you know, Scott Frost just alluded to us finally finishing some drives in this game. And we've already noted on, uh, you know, Maryland not being the same level of opponent as Wisconsin, but this is a good sign going forward that not only do we have success getting in the end zone and being physical uh, within the, the red zone, getting those touchdowns, but also making our field goals. So big improvement in the red zone this week, right? Yeah, absolutely. And as we're going to discuss later in Scarlet Colored Glasses, Boomer's going to break down some importance of, of scoring in the red zone, uh, especially as we play Iowa. And Part of being successful in the red zone there was having a good rush game again mm-hmm. for another game in a row. We had a basically 300 yards rushing when you accounted for sacks into it. We had 300-plus rushing yards against Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Well, we had 300-plus rushing yards again here. And what was the interesting stat, Boomer, that, that we didn't even have a 100-yard rusher? Yeah, correct. Nobody here went over 100 yards. Quarterbacks, running backs, anyone. Kind of amazing when you do that with a 300-yard game. And Dave, we did a little bit of history on that, and the last time that we could figure out that that stat had happened was when? That was the Red Box Bowl back in Riley's first year. So I guess that would have been 2015, is that right? Yeah, that was the Foster Farms Bowl then, Dave. So get, get your title sponsors right here. That's important. Title sponsors are important. That's correct. <laughs> You know what? That leads to our first question, actually, from the Plowboys Barbecue and A inbox from Justin Bank on our Facebook page. If by the grace of God we do beat Iowa and become bowl eligible, what bowl do you foresee us going to? Boomer, you just mentioned the Red Box Bowl, I guess the former Foster Farms Bowl. Does that kind of sound roughly what we would be going to if we would get the victory this week? Yeah, I'd have to double check on those. I know some of the bowl games do have uh, like some restrictions that if you've played there in the last few years, they'd rather not take you again. So it's possible that would be one since we did play there in the last few years, they'd probably not take us if the option was there. Uh, if we do, you know, get the victory, oh, I'm saying do, uh, when we get the victory, um, 
you know, we'd probably be looking at, if it's not the Foster Farms Bowl slash Redbox Bowl, probably something in the realm of the uh, Pinstripe Bowl, Quick Lane Bowl, and I believe the Big Ten also has a tie-in with the Armed Forces Bowl, but we haven't had enough bowl-eligible teams lately to be in there, so it would likely be one of those three to four, just depending on who's most attractive. And I'd like to think we would be an attractive pick for a lot of those bowls to choose from. You know, we're, I think our fan base would travel reasonably well. So it's kind of just up to you who you'd want to play at that point and what setting you'd like to be. Because, you know, nothing better than Detroit in late December. So <laughs> Yeah, what are the tie-ins for those games? Like, who would be playing? To your point, the Quick Lane Bowl is like the MAC or something, right? Or no, they... Quick Lane Bowl is the uh, ACC. And then uh, okay. I think... The Pinstripe Bowl is as well, if I remember. Redbox that Bowl is right. Pac-12. Pac-12. Armed Forces Bowl, I think, is Mountain West. So you can kind of decide who you'd like to play and, you know, risk-reward kind of thing there. And none of the teams you'd be playing would be all that big of world beaters anyway. Is Oregon State Bowl eligible? No, they sh- they're that close. They got five wins, and they could have won this weekend, but they went for it on fourth and four in a very ill-advised scenario in the game and then let the Pirate and Wazoo score with one second left to win the game. And then they had their last game is Oregon in the Civil War. <laughs> Probably not going to work out well for them. Okay. That's thought it'd be nice to see Tristan Jebbia again. <laughs> Point, I guess the answer there is Redbox definitely is an option, mm-hmm. and uh, but there's a few others. Yep. All right, well, offensively, Honky, let's uh, dive a little bit more into scoring explosion. As we started to watch the first quarter, we didn't actually score in our first drive, which is uh, something that is typical when Scott Frost's offense are clicking. And we did come out throwing the ball quite a bit. Um, it was a little bit surprising. Ultimately, the run-pass ratio probably was exactly where you wanted it. I think we probably two-thirds rushes uh, over pass plays. But it did did come out uh, throwing a little bit there, right, Honky? So what did you see in that first quarter? To your point there, you know, we didn't come out and just run the ball right away mm-hmm. immediately. But I don't know that any of us realized the dumpster fire of the player situation that we had going into that game. JD having IV in the morning and, you know, Mills was sick that week. And we were just really, if I think if we as a fan base knew all that going into the game, there probably would have been a lot more fear, I guess, going into it. And it's more credit to how the team ended up playing. I think once we got into a rhythm against them, I saw a real physical style of ball. And one of the things that we broke down, Mac, was the amount of plays that just tight ends had on the field. I'm looking at 47 plays that Stoll was out there, 59 that Austin Allen was out there, even 31 from Raftall. That's mm-hmm. new. Yeah. For us to get that many big-bodied guys on the outside that's starting to play a role in our run game. We talked about it a week ago against Wisconsin. Maybe they're coming to a point where they don't think the receivers are, mm-hmm. are you know, as good of blocking on the outside or whatever. If They just want to get the big guys out there. But we're getting tight ends on the field more than than we have, I think, earlier in the season. Boomer, it, it helps your offense when you get turnovers and you win special teams, uh, generally speaking. And we spend a lot of time on their side of the field, uh, starting with that Dismuke fumble recovery early on their first drive, right? Yeah, I mean, that just completely just makes everything so easy. You know, our first drive wasn't great. We ended up punting, and then, gosh, we didn't get the ball right back in their territory. And then when you can actually convert that red zone opportunity into a touchdown i think it's just kind of a huge weight off your shoulders that, that's been our challenge for weeks was just trying to get those touchdowns in the red zone and here we go you're gifted an opportunity you take advantage of it and then the floodgates open from there and that really helps in any situation yeah. you know when their coach is looking for applications for starbucks or something at that point just wanting to get out of there <laughs> mac i mean you know, to your point earlier the football guys is kind of a line especially in that first quarter where everything seemed to happen to go our way turnover field position, et cetera, right? Yeah, it was fun to see. It was really enjoyable. <laughs> and I know that makes me sound petty, 
But I am a little petty. I'm not small as a fan, but I can be petty. And, <laughs> and that's fine. That's just how I'm going to live my life. But it was interesting because we didn't look – we didn't look particularly cohesive on offense. There were some still some sputters with the team. I mean, Adrian was some high with some balls, and mm-hmm. you know, I still get a little frustrated with his own internal clock and as to when to run on a particular pass play. But the line did a good job of of providing protection. And Mills, although he was sick, he ran hard. And I guess the main thing with this game is yes, you handle your business early. And it truly allowed us to get some young guys in the mix and really see some of those guys. So for, you know, on our fourth game with some of these guys, like Ramir Johnson, he gets enough snaps to make it worth it for him, you know, see him in this game and kind of get an idea of what we've got to work with going into next year. You know, Mac, we had another question in our Plowboys barbecue and a inbox. It was from Jack. He said Martinez played well yesterday. He ran effectively, but he goes on two different occasions. It appeared he thought he beat a defender and pulled up into coasting mode before he was stripped of the ball on the first occasion and immediately tackled on another. He goes, I hate being nitpicky since he played well, but he just wants to know if you agree or if you saw it and agree with him on what he was seeing with Martinez out there. I know the plays he's talking about, for sure. I don't think, sadly, I don't think that was coasting mode. (laughs) I think that was just Adrian getting ran down from behind. And the other one, he don't have to take every monster hit. And it was, he had a line, if he's talking about the same play I'm thinking of, he just sort of, pointed out of bounds and didn't take a big shot after a good run. So I have no problem with that. Some point in the offseason, I think we'll probably hear that he was dealing with an injury this year and it was slowing him down some because there's no doubt that he's not as explosive as he was. You see flashes of it, but not the consistency. So, mm-hmm. no, I don't think he was coasting. I think he was trying hard. It just – he needs to have that top end. You know, Dave, you had mentioned something about the cohesiveness of the offense. And one of the things I think of from yesterday was just how many young guys got out there on the field. And that might lead to a lack of cohesiveness at times. But, I mean, just from our count, true freshmen that played yesterday, McCaffrey in multiple roles. Ramir obviously played the biggest game that he played and and had the most carries. Ben Hart, Piper by the end of the game, they're out there. Nance got uh, some snaps at receiver. And Hickman, too. I mean, those are just true freshmen that got on the field. So back to the audio that Frost had going into the scoring explosion segment, he talked about how we played a lot of guys. Those are new dudes. I think a lot of young guys got some chances and did some good things, and uh, we really didn't even think to use, not think to use Luke, but plan on using Luke until probably Thursday. The great thing, Mario does such a great job with the quarterbacks. He knows everybody's job. He knows everybody's role, and he's a he's a great athlete. That's certainly a temporary move to receiver, not a permanent one, but he gave us a little spark today. Yeah, no, absolutely. And McCaffrey did look good at quarterback in the second half. And, you know, Mac, uh, Adrian was a little high on a few balls. He definitely threw a few that he got away with. And someone against Iowa, he he may have threw a couple picks there. So he needs to take care of the, the ball better. But how how do you feel like, you know, if they're going to be comparison Adrian versus Luke McCaffrey and their play, and Hockey, you can jump on this too because I know you've, you're interested in the playbook differences, it seems like, mm-hmm. but how much of, of this is, you know, Adrian has a full playbook in front of him and maybe he's being asked to do more things than what Luke McCaffrey is right now. And when Luke gets in, it's a little streamlined and, and maybe it's a little bit more run-oriented in the, in the QB 
Yeah, you almost wonder if it's the burden of knowledge that Adrian has that has kind of slowed him down this season. Whereas last year, he was more like what you saw Luke doing, which is just yeah. turning up and running, looking mm-hmm. fast, making explosive plays with his legs, and then flicking it out there when people are open. This year, Adrian's like, okay, I know it. You know, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to read. And then, you know, maybe by then, you know, your your protection dissolves and you get hit. So I don't know. if it, I didn't anticipate a sophomore slump like that with Adrian, but that could be what we're seeing. However, seeing McCaffrey in there and watching the offense just chunk out 10 yards, 12 yards, 10 yards, 12, and it doesn't even look that hard. I mean, these plays aren't complicated. Hopefully, maybe that reminds the coaches of, hey, this works pretty good too with Adrian. Adrian can do that stuff too. And we don't have to protect Adrian like we thought we did at one time because we do have serviceable backups. Let's, mm. let's let him go and see how that looks. Yeah. The offense of style of play when we have McCaffrey out there, That's the style I like to see. I'm not talking about who the individual quarterback is. It's just the style of play. I love that. Uh, When Vedral's out there, Vedral runs to me. I've said it a couple weeks ago. It feels more like the UCF style of offense. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of similarities between him and Milton. That's probably a fair comparison. He throws very much on time. I mean, everything looks really smooth when Vedral's out there. But it feels more like it's system offense versus like if – you have a healthy Martinez and you have a fast McCaffrey. I mean, you got dudes that can flat out fly. Now, I think one of the interesting things from yesterday was when it got to be the time where we knew Martinez was going to be done with his day, who's the next QB up? Right. And Dave sends a text out right away and says, you know, I think McCaffrey's next. And you're absolutely right. And it leads to our, our last question from the Plowboys barbecue and a mailbox came from Frederick Frank on Twitter. And he said, wondered why Vedral didn't play, but noticed he's played four games. Will he redshirt? Dave, I'll throw that over to you. We didn't see Vedral yesterday. Is he going to redshirt? You were correct on McCaffrey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Vedral's not redshirting because he can't redshirt this year. Uh, so I think I feel quite confident on that one. Now, Luke McCaffrey, he's redshirting. But uh, Vedral is not eligible to redshirt this year because of last year. Mm-hmm. So uh, nothing to be saving, no. I think more likely explanation is he may still be dinged up, and they clearly brought him along uh, because he's like a coach out there on the sideline. But it, it, it's an, another situation where if you know McCaffrey's only going to play four games, this was a game where it was obvious that you could put him in for the full fourth quarter, let the guy play, and it's not a QB controversy because he's redshirting, but you get to, get to see the you know, a, a lot of plays, a, a lot of snaps for Luke, and I think he, you know, responded well. You know, did you guys start to notice, it just feels like they're trying to do more and more misdirection right now. Some of it was the interception pass that they did throw, where you're running to one direction and you're throwing back. Uh, that that pass they threw to Austin Allen, which maybe the closest thing I can think of it was what they did a year ago to against oh, Ohio yeah, State yeah. when they threw the same thing to him. I think we had a screen pass off to the left, and he's blocking for a second, and then he kind of sneaks off of it and just. But we go, pumped it too, didn't we? Pumped it, the side I think, to the to the yeah. screen, and then he just kind of sneaks off and you know goes about ten yards down the field, kind of mm-hmm. off on the left side, and of course we rolled off to the right, so everything's kind of misdirecting one way and then throwing back, and he was wide open. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a way to see the offense. I think move. I love getting the quarterback out of the pocket, just moving things, moving the defense one way and throwing back the other. I, I, I just love that style of play, getting a quarterback outside of the tackles. So uh, another tight end pass was the INT in the end zone, right, where Adrian doesn't get mm-hmm. enough air on that. Um, and I, I think that was actually a pretty good play call and one that you see a lot of 
uh, NFL teams will even make that, that call. He just was not executed by Adrian. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and the thing is, and Mac and I talked about this right away after the game. Frost even talked about how you know he took some of the blame for that interception. Kind of kicking myself for the trying to go for the jugular and, and calling the one play that got intercepted because I, I didn't you know didn't want to let them back in the game at that point. But our guys did a good job responding, and really by by halftime felt pretty good about it. And the reality is, is that I feel two ways about it. My first way is I just want to see Mills just give it to him, just be physical. Like right. we are, we're going to talk about this in a little bit here too. We're a running team right now. We need to embrace that. Let's be physical. Let's run it. And let's just pound them with Mills and with Martinez right. running the ball. Like, that's a great way to do it at the five and the, and the three yard line and all that. At the same time, the shovel pass against Purdue yeah. and that throwback that was intercepted there, the plays were not bad calls. They're there. Yeah. It is literally a missed block or it's a bad throw or those are touchdowns too. But those it's are more kind of the plays that always work when things are rolling in your yeah. direction. But that's like if you don't have team momentum and then they just kind of seem like irritating, cute calls. Yeah. You know, if you're flowing, I'm like, oh, that's genius. Oh, that was genius. Great play call. But when you're struggling to score in the, in the red zone, it's like, oh, that's irritating. Well, And, and I keep foreshadowing to later where, where Boomer's going to go over some stats for us. So I don't want to get too deep in this right now. But the importance – of running the ball mm. and finishing drives against Iowa is going to be huge. And this gets to this point, Dave, where when we're there at the three and the five-yard line, whether the play is there or not, we have to be able to execute it. So to me, there's parts of just getting simple, yeah. just running and just pounding a team and just get the three yards any way you can. Yeah, I get it. We've also seen more running plays inside the five, and sometimes they work very effectively and other times we, we've gotten stuffed yep. and so you know i mean it's uh you know a bit of a balance there and you do want to sh- show a team like iowa that you can make a play like that you know i mean uh, so i guess we'll see how that plays out no doubt it's time to throw the bones i thought we won a little bit on just individual pass rushes you know if you get a sack on a drive there's a good chance you're getting off the field and a couple of them came on third down which is Definitely going to help you get off the field. And it just kind of a lot of things kind of came together today. All right, guys. Well, we really have some stuff to talk about here with throwing the bones. Uh, You know, the defense really showed up yesterday. Uh, You know, I was watching the game with my wife, and she was like, who is this team? I mean, we were uh, at sacks. We were pressing the quarterback. uh, Three and outs were happening. Um, I think one of us on our text thread uh, thought that Maryland looked kind of like they could have been beat by a, a Class A high school team at times. And uh, I, I, you kind of expected us to do uh, well offensively, but defensively we, we dominated Maryland in many facets of the game, right, Honky? Going into the game, I completely thought that we could have some challenges with Maryland's offense. I thought they, they have some talented players, that running back who ended up fumbling on the first play of the mm-hmm. game for them. Mobile quarterbacks. Mobile quarterbacks. I mentioned a little earlier that second string quarterback when he got on the field. I think I texted you guys. I go, this guy's going to be a problem for us mm-hmm. if he keeps playing. And of course, you know he ended up being injured. But they had some talented guys out there, so there was reason to be concerned that they could put up double digit points <laughs> at least on us and you know make this game into a second half game. And to the credit of the defense, that just never happened. No, the defense looked pretty serious about really holding them to no points whatsoever. I mean that, that you could tell they were taking pride in that. The lack of first downs, 
the physical nature we were playing, you know, Lamar Jackson continues to put together a really solid senior season, you know, making physical tackles, like holding the edge on a couple of those outside runs that I, you know, looked like they could have been open and then just mm-hmm. came and filled that alley. I was pretty tickled with how the defense played, you know, created turnovers, hats on the ball when they were, when they were tackling, you know, there was a lot of people around the ball to pick up those loose balls. It was a pretty good time. You know, guys, it did remind me of watching the UCF defense from a couple of years ago, which was very aggressive, lots of blitzing, turnovers, all those type of things, right? Do you feel like it's just Maryland was that bad and we just were able to execute our defensive scheme that much better? Or did uh, we actually call a more aggressive defense than we've had in previous games? I don't really feel like we called that much more aggressive of a defense. A lot of it was three- and four-man rushes. You know, one part of it was they ended up playing four quarterbacks. So they had guys that were back there that I don't know how much experience and snaps they've had. So they were probably having more trouble seeing things happening downfield and getting rid of the ball. And that makes you hold the ball another second or two. And Khalil Davis, he obviously had a big game there with a couple of sacks. Ben Stilley played a really good game. Ben Stilley had a great game. The the guy that we're really going to miss, Darian Daniels, there's two things about him. Number one, we're going to miss him as a senior. Right. But he also, I think, gives a really good – when you talked about like the UCF defense, he looked and feels a lot like what that nose tackle that played for them was like. I mean, he took up dudes in the middle of the line, Mm -hmm. and I think he is a great example for future nose tackles, whether it's the polar bear Mm -hmm. or if it's Ty Robinson or whoever ends up playing that role. Hash nutschmackers. I I only call him the polar bear because I can't pronounce the last name. It took me three years to be able to pronounce Pearson L. No, you just combine his first and last names. That's all. I'm just terrible with last names. But anyways, I think what Darian Daniels has done to the position is really solidify what that role needs to be on Mm -hmm. this defense. And he played a great game against Maryland. And I don't know that his stats, I don't have them in front of me, but I doubt his stats look amazing. But his role, what he does, mm-hmm. man, he ta- he eats up a lot of the, the center of the field. Boomer, there's a, such a thing as like trains over properties where you're like, you can take the momentum from one game and try to build on that and go to the next, even if it's a completely different quality of opponent. Can Nebraska actually like, Iowa's going to have a much better offensive line. Can the success of Ben Stilley and, and others Getting you know some one-on-one victories, I guess, uh, against the Maryland offensive line actually play forward and, and give them the momentum to play that well versus Iowa? Well, you better hope so. And you'd, you'd have to think that any sort of positive steps forward, especially with the concern people had with the defense in these last couple of weeks, they'd been taking some shots in the press and questions about what Frost says about them. You know, momentum is a big part of sports. I mean, there's no denying that. Yeah, this is something to build on, absolutely. Speaking about momentum, after we scored touchdowns, we had kind of a pooch kick off of sorts. How do you feel that played out? Well, it worked out pretty well, actually, since we were able to recover, you know, uh, a turnover on one of those. I, I'm still not entirely sure if it was intentional or just a product of our uh, kicking game the way it's been all season, but hey, it's working. Run with it. Yeah. Boomer brought up a good point there. He said momentum's a big part of sports, and I would say so is consistency. I was just thinking of this. This is kind of a, a nice thought exercise for a second. Where are we at right now defensively? We have fifth-year seniors, the Davis twins, Alex Davis, uh, Mo Berry. Look at the changes that have happened to them over the course of their career. If you're a Davis huh. twin right now, you're recruited by Bo Pelini with John Papuchas as your defensive coordinator and Rich Kaczynski is going to be your position coach. Those are the guys that recruited you. And by the time you played her as a freshman, your head coach was Riley. Mm-hmm. Banker's your defensive coordinator. And Hank Hughes is your position coach. And Perella. 
Well, no, just wait. That's oh. 2015. Oh, in I, 2016, you have Riley Banker, and now Perel is your defensive line coach. In 2017, you switch from a 4-3 to a 3-4. You still have Riley and Perella, but now Diaco is your coordinator. In 2018, Frost is your head coach. Shenander is your defensive coordinator. Mike Dawson's your D-line coach. You're still running a 3-4. And now this year, your fifth year, you have Frost, Shenander, Dawson leaves, and you have Tony Tuioti as your defensive line coach. So, long story short there is in five years, they have never had a consistent position, coordinator, and head coach at all throughout all five years. And so when you think about like the great black shirt defenses of the 90s and the 80s and all that stuff, you just knew who your position coaches were. You knew who your coordinators were. They never left. If you were a defensive back under Tom Osborne, you always had George Darlington as your position coach. He was there all 25 years. And I mean, this is just one example of the Davis. Not twins to mention there. philosophy changes. The four three to three four, it's, even the three four Diaco versus you the, know what we're doing now. Oh yeah, it's a different three. I mean, Dave, this is crazy. What these fifth year defensive guys have gone through from a change perspective, it's just nuts. Yeah, and and this is why sticking with his coaching staff can have a lot of value. Um, you're like, oh, what's going to change? These coaches are over their heads, et cetera, et cetera. Well, actually having that year-over-year consistency building upon the same teaching methods, uh, the relationships being built um, can make a difference. And so um, w- that's what we're looking for next year, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Mac, uh, other defensive observations? What do you think of the linebacking play? I thought the linebackers did a real serviceable job. I, no big busts or anything like that. You know, those, that's a group that continues to improve. I don't know that they're going to be exceptional, but they, but they have improved. Will Honus's play was consistent. I saw Colin Miller get after it a couple times and Barry's Barry. Luke Reimer coming in was a bullet yeah. a couple times. That was kind of nice to see. Um, I don't remember, was it, is it Joey Johnson? Or, yeah, Joey yep, Johnson. Joey Johnson. I don't. I don't recall. I know he got in. I didn't see him necessarily do much, but he had. I, ni- well, he had a nice tackle. But the, the, but I what I did notice was there wasn't any drop off in the hitting and in the flying around. That was what I really liked seeing from the starters to the second level, third level guys. They were still flying around. Yeah, and making Reim- hits. Reimer had a nice hit yeah. there. The guy that I want to see have depth force him to have to improve is Tanner. Caleb Tanner, he played more yesterday. He's got all the talent in the world. Yeah. I mean, I want this guy to be an all-American player for us. But, I mean, I just feel like there's a push that just needs to be behind him. And that's got to come through offseason, more recruiting, more guys behind him pushing him. But, like, that dude, the ceiling is so high for him, but we're not seeing it yet. And he's still young. I mean, he's a true sophomore. But when you don't redshirt, eliminates one more year of development, right? I mean, it's got a humongous position to not redshirt. The outside linebacker to come in and play as a freshman. Yeah, we're seeing it with Nelson, you know, and we only have two more years with Tanner. I can't believe that he's already halfway done here. I can't believe that because you feel like you've barely seen him. Uh, Boomer, uh, special teams wise, uh, the kickers, we had our walk on club soccer team uh, guy uh, knock three 29-yard field goals. And in the fourth quarter, we get an, another field goal kicker who I, I can't... Martin, is that right? And I, no one even knew he was on the roster until yesterday. Is that right? Yeah, it was an embarrassment of riches for a kicking game that's been struggling all year. <laughs> Matt made every kick we asked him to make. Uh, and then Harrison Martin came in and made a kick for us. I'm really happy for both those kids. Those are Nebraska kids that weren't even thinking about playing football in August. Barrett wasn't here because of health. They were four for four on field goals, and 
uh, you know, six for six on extra points. I mean, God, you can't ask for anything else from your kicking game. They looked good, too. I mean, it wasn't like they were, like, sketchy field goals. Waldrick, I mean, he, he hit those uh, solidly. So Pickering stayed at home. Sounds like he was going through concussion protocol. Could also potentially preserve uh, his redshirt uh, this year. And, and also, I mean, like, I mean, I think competition in that, uh, that position is just as valuable as anywhere else. And so if uh, Pickering has uh, some competition next year, it'll make everybody all the better, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've said that it, it's valuable at every position, whether it's receiver, quarterback, you know, linebacker. Same is true for kicking. I mean, yeah, we want to push everyone to be the best they can, and competition will do that. What I want to see is one of those guys actually can kick the ball off into the end zone, right? <laughs> That'd be nice. Yeah. We're just not capable of doing that. I've never quite understood why, but we'll get to that. Baby steps on special teams. We'll get there. And now, Nebraska ball. Compared to where we were a couple weeks ago, where, you know, we, we lost a game like this by 20, to be able to rebound and bounce back, well, not rebound, but to be able to find a way to... <laughs> Uh, bounce back and, and win a game like this when adversity smacked us in the face. I'll tell you what, I give our bench a ton of credit for coming out. When they got the momentum, uh, our bench was the one I thought that came in and turned it around. Uh, Samari, Thor, Mate, Kevin, I thought those guys did a great job of giving the momentum back to us. Let's talk uh, men's basketball here a little bit. We did get back to 500 on Friday night as we took Southern into overtime and uh, after giving up a big lead, we had to uh, come back and, and force overtime and then ultimately uh, kind of took care of business. Boomer, uh, you know, the team's still pretty rough around the edges, but as we just heard from uh, Fred Hoiberg there, uh, they are rounding into shape a, a little bit, right? Yeah, they're uh, rounding into shape, but as uh, Fred said, they're certainly not rebounding at this point in that game. <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah. That was a terrible rebounding performance, and that is going to be a concern going forward to the Big Ten, you know, once... Players get bigger and bigger. I think we got out rebounded like fifty-four to twenty-eight in that game. It was something pretty extensive. So, and that's going to be tough to overcome. I think um, probably the other big challenge I think this game showed was our free throw percentage. We're just really bad from the line, and that's that is something you'd hope can be fixed. You know, a little more practice and just. Just effort. I think we were about you know, 50% from uh, the free throw line in that game. Oh, gosh. I can't remember who it was on Twitter. I saw it was Christopher Hetty, I think. He was doing basketball stats. We're currently uh, 14th in the country for attempts. Uh, you know, seeing the stripe there, which you'd think would be great, but we're 338th in a free throw percentage. <laughs> and I think wow. there's about 350, 351 NCAA basketball teams in Division One. So that's, that's not yeah, a good right. stat. But only where it goes up. Yeah. Boomer, you mentioned about getting bigger and bigger, you know, as we play in the Big Ten. Stevenson still isn't playing for us, Dave, and getting him would be somebody that could maybe provide us some better rebounding, a bigger-bodied guy. We're getting a little bit of clarity on his waiver. I mean, it sounds like basically the waivers, if he can play at all this year, right? Yeah, it doesn't sound good. It wasn't good news in the sense that the, the clarity came from we thought we were waiting to see if he'd be eligible in the first semester uh, and expecting he was definitely going to be eligible in the second semester. That apparently is not the case. The waiver out there um, that the NCAA is reviewing would um, allow him to play this year uh, completely or not. And so um, he may be sitting out the entire year, which is we really could use Shamil Stevenson right now on the uh, the boards. And so that's going to be, be a challenge if we don't get some uh, help there. Now, I mean, as uh, Ivan 
starts to develop as a 17-year-old true freshman and and a few others get their feet underneath and maybe we start to do better on the boards. But it, it's it's rough right now, no doubt. Is it just me or does the NCAA just seem to like not know its own rules and no one has any clue what they're doing and it's just every day is a new day for them and their decision-making? It's just, it's insane. <laughs> well, well, Boomer, it's like Mac said, and by the way, Mac, of course, he's taking a break as we're talking Nebraska ball. But um, as he said last week, isn't it amazing that like the NCAA, one of the things with the Stevenson waiver was they didn't have enough people working to even like look at it. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, like, what, what, what are we paying you Yeah, for? What, what would you say you do here, NCAA? I mean, is this <laughs> your job? I, I don't get it. Yeah. Mac usually takes off the basketball segment here on the Redcast, but we are uh, sending him down to the Grand Cayman Islands uh, to be the man on the, the beat for the uh, Grand Cayman Classic. So, Mac, are you excited to watch Nebraska take on Washington State? Yes, I have got my pronunciation guide um, all all laid out so I can learn these players as they continue to impress me from the free throw line and outside the arc. Well, I wonder if one of the last things that Bill Moose did as the AD at Washington State, if it was to schedule Omaha and then Nebraska, you know, in consecutive games, because Washington State's coming off of a loss to the Mavericks. You know, so this, no, no more pressure on us to win tomorrow, but, well, we better win. <laughs> Yeah, and that, I presume, was up in Pullman, right? So they had lost at home to Omaha. Yeah. Wow. Well, well, we'll see where that goes. All right, guys. Well, uh, basketball season will start to really pick up speed here in the, the next few weeks as we'll actually get into Big Ten play as well. Um, but let's hope they have uh, some success down there in the Caribbean and come out with a above 500 record. And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. Yeah, we got to get home and get them some rest. We're playing a really good team Saturday or Friday. I've had a chance to watch Iowa. You know, they're one of the best teams in the league. You know, we're going to do everything we can to try to get ready for a really good team. A win today gives us a chance. All right, guys, we have our scarlet colored glasses on, talking all things Husker football, and uh, we're going to go into our breakdown of Iowa, um, our rival, non-rival, whatever you want to call them, right? And uh, this game does have some meaning to it. Um, we are five and six trying to become bowl eligible. Uh, Iowa likes to be, beat up on us. You know, Mac, listen to a lot of these quotes uh, from the coaching staff and the players. Uh, it seems like we're definitely avoiding any bulletin board material out there this week. They've been praising Iowa, you know, giving them a lot of respect. What do you make of that? I, you know, I think it's probably smart. I think uh, the way this season's <laughs> going, we don't need to give any fuel to any fire of anybody. Um, we need to just sort of maintain and and keep our house in order. In well, order, to- we have a lot of respect for for Iowa, right, Mac? No, I do not. <laughs> that, <laughs> but I'm not playing them, and that won't make any bulletin board material. But uh, it's smart. Even Frost's whole tone about, it, like, even coming off the field on Saturday, he said, "You know, we got to go play a good team. Hopefully, we can get the job done." He, I feel like he's sandbagging, though. That to me, that's sandbagging. I feel like we're gonna, <laughs> we might uncork one on old old Hawkeyes there. You know, it's interesting, Hockey, in that I just sense that Frost has gotten a fair amount of flack during the four-game stretch and then referencing back to previous quotes that he was been too cocky and all this type of stuff. And that um, here, this instance, maybe maybe he's learned his lesson and he's decided to just be, you know, more like turn on the charm to my opponent completely. Or maybe he truly thinks, you know, Iowa is, is a, a top-flight team. Well, the importance of this game can't be overstated. I'm it's not just a rivalry game, and it is. I mean, to anyone out there trying to say it's not, you're wrong. It's a rivalry, 
and then the the meaning of this game to get to six wins to get to a bowl yeah. game our first bowl game since 2016 it's an absolute huge game for this program and so all the words that are going to be talked about before the game really don't matter much anyways mm-hmm. it's all going to be coming out there and playing we need to play a clean game and we're starting to get there we've gotten our penalties down we're going to get into some stats here in just a second but we need to play a clean game from start to finish and not give this team anything because Iowa one thing they'll do is they'll take any mistake you do and and they'll run with it mm-hmm. it's just like Wisconsin in that regard yeah you're right we're going to take a deep dive in the the data here for a second with Boomer but right before that Mac you know we played a lot of young guys last week We've had a lot of people have been sick, right? We know that JD was sick. We know Derek Mills is sick. We don't know if Wandell is healthy yet. The short turnaround, I mean, if we have one less day even here to prepare, uh, you feel like it could impact uh, kind of how the team comes out? I almost feel like this was the same case last year. Weren't there a bunch of guys sick at the Iowa game last year we heard about after the game? Mm. A couple guys battling. I think they're doing something. I think this is another thing that I would play. I'm just kidding. No, but I guess it was nice that we had one of those kind of built-in SEC bye weeks in the middle of the year with Maryland um, that we could rest some guys and get healthy. Wandell would be a huge guy to have. You remember last year, Maurice Washington just abusing Iowa linebackers on like when we could isolate him on pass routes. I feel like that's something Wandell could be great at for this game. So it'd be nice to be at our full complement for this game. And really just go punch for punch with these guys. It, it will be a different game than last year for sure, I feel like. Mm. Well, you know, the second half of the game, we talked at halftime about Mills not getting another carry for the rest of the game, if at all possible. And he didn't. That's mm-hmm. where Ramirez really got the carries. And that's good because we're going to need a guy like Mills to get yeah. a lot of carries. I'm not real confident right now in Wondell playing this week. I, I hope I'm wrong. As many guys as we played against Maryland – we're not going to have that happen this week. I think we're going to play the core 40, 45 guys. You know, that, that first string and your top backups on each side of the ball, those are going to be the guys playing, and they've got to be ready yeah. to go a full game. And now it's time for the Dorky Data Download. First off, I just want to address one of the, the points Honky brought up about the importance of a clean game and, uh, you know, playing penalty free. Something I think Husker fans have noticed we haven't been playing, you know, much better on the penalty side of things. And I did a little looking into that. And actually, for the season, we've averaged about 5.3 penalties per game. But in the last three games, we've only averaged 2.3. So that is actually leading uh, Division One college football in fewest penalties per game in the last three games. Wow, that's... That's something to look forward to. Yeah. That's awesome, Boomer. That is a plus. Boomer, that's that's awesome that we have uh, turned the corner on the penalties. So what else do we have versus Iowa? If we were comparing head-to-head uh, offensive, defensive stats, so what falls in our favor, actually? Yeah, in general, we do tend to outscore Iowa, which shouldn't be a surprise to anyone who's watched either team play. Um, offensively, we produce more. We average about 28 points a game. They're 23 we put up about 50 yards more a game, you know, in total offense than they do. You know, it is kind of surprising we actually rush more per game than they do by a pretty substantial margin. We average about 205 yards a game to 130 for Iowa when most people would sit down and think that Iowa's the big rushing, you know, bruising team. But but they're not in, you know, in comparison to, you know, total yardage. And they actually outpass us in terms of uh, just total yardage in the game, which is also kind of surprising. It's not by a huge amount, only 20 yards a game, but... You know, still probably what most people wouldn't expect. 
I think, uh, again, probably the key to this game is going to be, it's something we've talked about a lot, and it's that red zone scoring. And it was something we saw a lot in, against Maryland, which was great, either, you know, touchdowns or field goals. You know, when you compare Nebraska versus uh, Iowa, even with, you know, all the points we got against Maryland, we're still 116th in the country in red zone scoring percentage, about 73%. Iowa almost always converts their red zone opportunities into points. They're uh, 95% essentially scoring in the red zone. That puts them sixth in the nation. Now, they don't score a lot of touchdowns necessarily. We're, we're not far off from each other in terms of touchdowns, but they've just been a lot better at field goal kicking than we have been. Now, I might have flipped this last week. We've got our little uh, you know soccer club you know, ringer in there, so that can change a whole lot. But uh, I think uh, Iowa's field goal kicker actually has more field goals kicked this year than extra points. He's kicked uh, 27 field goals and only 22 extra points. So they don't score a lot of touchdowns, but they are, mm-hmm. every trip, they are converting those into points. Well, we saw that last weekend, Boomer. Uh, they won 19-10, to 10, I think, against Illinois, and that's four field goals. And one yeah, I mean, that's been Iowa's every game this year. It's They're, they're winning games 20-17 to you know 17 or 19-10 to 10 or whatever it is. They're not going out there putting up 38 points on anybody, and, but that's just what they want to do. And conversely, on, that's, on the opposite side of it, on the defensive end of it, People don't score on them very much, especially in the red zone. You know, red zone scoring percentage, you know, for us, our opponents can pretty much score when they want to. You know, we have a 90% opponent red zone scoring percentage, which puts us 121st. Iowa's is only 78, which is good for 30, 31st in the country. And as far as touchdowns, they only, only just a little bit under 40% of opponent red zone trips result in touchdowns. And that's really good. That's seventh in the country. And, us, we're just a little under 70%. So that's going to be the big key. Are we actually going to be able to take that kind of that momentum that Dave talked about where we're in the red zone, we're running the ball when we need to, not getting too cute on pass plays, and taking those opportunities and making them into touchdowns. And if you can do that, you can beat Iowa because they're not going to score a whole lot on you. If you're not able to do that and you get into, you know, if it becomes that knockdown, you know, 19 to 17 type game, that's going to be tough. So I think those are the big stats in the game. Or can we just score in a different manner? Do we just ignore the red zone altogether? And can we score on big plays, you know, which is something we haven't done a lot of this year? Or special teams or something of that nature, right? Yeah, maybe we're picking off Nate Stanley, who tends to can occasionally do that. I think all those stats are great. What's, it seems like if you watch Iowa play, their offense just isn't that explosive. I'm not surprised that their run game is is worse than ours because they just have been ineffective running the ball this year. And it's actually been trending that way, which is really odd. And some of that maybe is offensive line turnover this year, but they just don't have that explosive running back at times either. And then, you know, defensively, they're pretty darn good, right? Uh, in, in a lot of facets of the game. So uh, remind me here, Hawkeyes are 8-3, and three, is that right? Losses Correct. to... Wisconsin, Ohio, uh, I just can't remember who they all lose to. They lost to Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin, so all legitimate losses. They could have won all three of those games, I think. What are the scores with the Penn State and Michigan? Uh, Michigan was 10-3, to Penn State was like 17-12 to or something obscure, and Wisconsin was like 24-22, to so, yeah. you know, as much as we talk, like one play, could we could be, you know, seven-win team, you know, three plays, they could be undefeated, as annoying as that is, and they'll declare themselves undefeated anyway, but that's okay, so, for the regular season, so, yeah. So, Dave and I, we have a separate text chain going with Iowa Sean, his neighbor, who's been on the show before, and, I, yeah, I think... Iowa Sean texted us that they've lost three games by like 14 combined points, something along those lines. He also mentioned how Iowa's only allowed 20 or more points just twice this year. 
So points are a premium, right? And I asked him just a very general question. I was like, how many points do you think Nebraska needs to score to win this game? And he thought 27, 28, you know, upwards of 30 points. That would be the point that he thinks Nebraska needs to score to, to win. And that was kind of the number that was in my head, too, as I was asking it, was I thought we needed to get in the upper 20s. And when you think about it, they've only allowed 20 or more points twice this year. I mean, we would be in rare company if we can get there. But I think defensively, they run different schemes from Wisconsin. This is 4-3 versus 3-4. But – they've had a lot of the same defensive statistics than what Wisconsin did. Wisconsin gives up 14 points a game. These guys give up 12 points a game. You know, rushing yards, Wisconsin barely gave up anything. These guys are giving up 114 rushing yards a game. And yet, Nebraska, I'll give you a stat here, now that we're at 205 rushing yards a game, Mac, we are a top three rushing offense in the Big Ten. And what's what's significance about that? That was always Riley's magical number. He wanted to be a top three rushing in the Big Ten, you know, he figured that convert to a lot of victories. Which, well, if, if we could just that'd run. be pretty neat. If it would we be could neat. get up there, you know, it's something special. I had four sixteen <laughs> hundred yard rushers at Oregon State. Got a plaque about it. I'm going to drink my my <laughs> Coke, my Coke right here. No, it's Pepsi. A Pepsi. I'm drinking my Pepsi, Pepsi and uh, yeah, top three. That'd be super. Uh, who's injured this week? Let's see. Tommy's out. Uh, Jordan Westerkamp's out. Their roommates, you know. And Everyone's then, hurt. <laughs> Oh, sorry, Mike. Uh, yeah, we miss him. So he had everything right. nailed down. He was sure that if we were the top three rushing team in the Big Ten, we'd be having all sorts of victories. Yeah. Yet he wouldn't call running plays. It's really ironic yeah. in yeah. some ways. <laughs> all no right. Problem. Well, uh, I'm, hopefully we call some running plays versus this Hawkeye team on Friday. Enough of them work. We're going to see if we can pull off a victory. And boy, wouldn't it be something to, to somehow get to a bowl considering we've had this like six week, four game losing streak that just changed the tenor of the entire season, right? Yeah. I mean, what an amazing finish of the season. It's crazy. We've talked about how there's so many bowl games anymore. What are they up to? Like 34, 35 games, whatever. 34, like, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, oh, well, gosh, you know, what's the value of going to a bowl game anymore? You know, they pretty yeah. much let everyone in. Well, no, <laughs> actually, there's a lot of value, and we're finding that out right now. We took it for granted sure. because basically, you know, every year we would go to one for for an entire two or three generations in a row. But it's been since 2016, as Max said, getting this fifth win this year. This is the first time in three years yeah. we've had more than four wins. Yeah, and this Iowa game, it is a rivalry, and this would be by far the best victory of this season. I mean, Illinois is turning out to be a, de- a decent win, and, and well, that's about it. But the, <laughs> think of the momentum. This would can, be a decent win. Think of the momentum you can win. carry out of this season. This would be a win against a Big Ten team winning a Big Ten way. And I've, I've mentioned that multiple times. Like, we're going to have to win a Big Ten game yeah. in a Big Ten way. It doesn't get more Big Ten than playing Iowa. Funny thing is, if we could actually do that, we're 6-6, six and six, Iowa finishes 8-4. and four. Uh, This is one of our worst seasons of all time, and we end up only – Winning two games less than Iowa, so yep. And figure. both coaches will probably get two-year extensions. We already got one, and I'm sure Ferentz would yes. too, with a bit hefty raise. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, good stuff, guys. Anything else in the Iowa preview? Anything else you're looking forward to in this game? I'm actually going to it, so I'm kind of looking forward to that. I, although Boomer just informed me that the weather might not be exceptional, so yay. Yeah, there's a snowstorm coming in here to Denver, so exactly what I want for Thanksgiving. All right, guys. Well, let's uh, finish up uh, this segment with some predictions. Uh, 
Honky, I'm totally pre- presuming you're going to predict a Husker victory. Well, I probably will, but I'm going to start with uh, <laughs> Iowa Sean. He wasn't able to make it tonight. Probably was. <laughs> Iowa Sean, uh, he, he's had some sickness in the family, so he was going to be on the show tonight and, and wasn't able to. I wanted to at least get his thoughts on the game. And he said, I would say that the teams are who they are at this point in the season. Uh, NU is averaging 25. Iowa is averaging 24. Uh, our defense averages roughly 30 a game, and their average is 12. So he splits the dif- difference, and he thinks Iowa will win 28 to 21. I think that's a very fair number there. Mm-hmm. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take that 28-21. I'm going to use the magic of Memorial Stadium at home, uh, yeah. the magic of some momentum and right. playing well and feeling well, and I'm going to switch that around. I'm going to give us, Nebraska, the 28-21 to victory. Nice. And we're going to be heading to that Red Box Bowl. You pulled a trickery. Oh, switcheroo. Trickeration. Oh, Kansas City shuffle. All right. Yes. And uh, Kirk Ferentz gets a two-year extension. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, weeks. Boomer. I'm pretty certain you've proved out that we will not be going to the Red Box Bowl regardless if we win or lose. But um, what's the uh, the gamblers, what's Vegas telling us uh, spread-wise and over-under? We're, we're uh, well, at? it opened at minus three, and it's kind of been, or for Iowa, and it's kind of been trending a bit Iowa's way. It's it's fluctuated as high as about Iowa's minus five and a half, but it's kind of bouncing back and forth between that minus four to minus five, you know, kind of range all day today. So it's it's... The, the gambling is slightly in Iowa's favor. The money's gone the Hawkeyes' way on this one. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, sometimes, uh, I mean, Maryland's a good example where the line opened and then uh, moved, and uh, ultimately it was started, I think it started at seven and went down to four or five, and we we blew them out. So sometimes where they set the line at is a better indication of where it moves. And here's an illustration. We started at three, so maybe Vegas is thinking it's going to be a tighter game. Um, so that, that weighs in our favor. All right, Boomer, uh, what's your prediction there? Well, again, this is that time of year where the stats say who you say you are. You know, you look at them all. Iowa, you know, stat-wise should win. But uh, by God, I'm not going to go out of here predicting Nebraska defeats. We want that quick lane bowl. Nothing more magical than Detroit in December. So, as Jack Burton always said, what the hell? It's going to be Nebraska 28, Iowa 18. Is that six field goals? Six field goals, probably. Absolutely. They're not going to get in the end zone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Mac, you're going to be at the game then. What are you predicting? Uh, I'm predicting some hot cocoa with cream de mint <laughs> uh, to keep me toasty. And then I'm predicting a 31-21 victory for the Huskers. I just uh, – this win actually does mean a lot, fellas. I mean, the win means less than the loss would hurt, I guess I should say. Yeah. Losing that many a row to Iowa is it's just not tolerable. So we really need this victory. Correct. We got a little momentum after this last victory. Let's just see the offense continue to cut loose. I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't be shocked to win this game. Certainly not shocked. Well, obviously I'm predicting. Yeah, there's a difference between predicting it and actually expecting it, right? Yeah. We are a fan podcast after all. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, all these sound good, so I'll go somewhere in the same general vicinity. I'll say uh, 24-17 Huskers. Mm. I mean, you know, I just, I mean, Iowa's offense is Iowa's offense. They just don't produce that many points. So um, if we could somehow get ahead of these guys, we could stay ahead of them. So let's hope, hope for that. All right, guys, let's get out of here with some parting shots. Honky, take it away. First off, it's Thanksgiving week, and I always like to just acknowledge that. I hope every Redcaster out there has a has a wonderful Thanksgiving chance to see your friends and family mm-hmm. and everyone. Um, it's also high school championship week, so there's some games that, that I'm interested in watching. And, and speaking of high school football, 
Dave, there was a really interesting article that was in the New York Times, and you sent it to me uh, earlier about six-man football. And I just thought that was kind of interesting. And we have that link out on social media. But just basically, they're just areas of the state where areas of the country where the population isn't there, and, and they're doing whatever they can to play. And you've got six-man, you've got eight-man, you got in South Dakota, they have nine-man. But yeah. <laughs> football is football, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, six-man football is uh... – Sight to behold, too, right? I mean, you like offense. Six-man football is your your game. Basketball on grass, first and 15. <laughs> it's the truth. All right, Mac, what do you got? Uh, yeah, I'd just like to wish all the Redcasters a happy Thanksgiving and safe travels. Uh, be careful out there and try to enjoy your families as best you can and save a little room for some pumpkin pie. Absolutely. All right, sounds good. Boomer. Well, I'm not a big pumpkin pie fan, but uh, I'll kind of go along with that with Mac. Yeah, just enjoy the holidays. Enjoy this last bit of the regular season here, folks. I mean, it just seems like a couple of weeks ago we were just doing the, you know, spring game podcast for this season, and, you know, it's already over already. So just enjoy the last week. Enjoy the hatred with Iowa. It's a rivalry. We're enjoying it. You know, we've always said about how this game has to be, you know, for for it to be a rivalry, it has to be played for something. Well, it's being played for something here. may not be a national title, but it's a chance to go to a bowl game. It's a chance for this team to take those steps forward. And if you don't think Iowa would enjoy spoiling that, yeah, they they definitely would. So embrace it for what it's worth, and let's have fun with this last week here, folks. Here, here. That's a good point, Boomer. I think, you know, Having this game mean something, uh, we're, we're really playing for something here. We'll definitely up the ante when it comes to the rivalry. So, all right. Well, we're looking forward to that Black Friday matchup. Have a great Thanksgiving, everyone. For now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Be great. Beat the Hawks. Beat the Hawks.